I just would ask that you pray for our, for our family. Uh, we, we have been impacted by that nasty virus. And I would just pr- ask that you would pray for us that we would recover quickly, that we would be, we would be back to, to, to full strength. Would you pray for me? Amen. Well, I, I was going to continue uh, in the Apostles' Creed series, and I was in quarantine all last week in my office, and um, I just could not get any traction with continuing. We're going to we will continue next week with the Apostles' Creed, and just felt like the Lord wanted me to to preach in in a psalm. So I started thinking and praying about what psalm I would preach from. And I started contemplating and reading different psalms, and my heart landed on Psalm 34. Psalm. 34. And so I'm going to preach a message this morning called Afflictions and the Goodness of God. Afflictions and the Goodness of God. I'm going to cry through this whole message. I just want you to pray with, with me um, as, as we open God's Word. Hey God, God, I come before you this morning. And God, I, I thank you. Thank you for, for, who, for, who, for who you are. God, I thank you that, that you, are, you are good. You are faithful. God, I pray that. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to, to the hearts of your people. Yeah, where, wherever, wherever we are. Thank you that wherever we are, that, that you see us and that you know the cries of our heart. And that no matter the afflictions, that you are good. That you, you are good. You'll be glorified. God, I pray you help me to open my mouth. Help me to preach your word and help me to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to mute my mic for a second? So Psalm, Psalm 34, Psalm 34 is a unique psalm. 
It's a psalm that was written in a cave. It's a psalm that was written in a... Oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to preach this message. It's a psalm that was written in a cave. Have you ever been in a cave before? You ever felt like you were in a cave? Yeah? Well, David wrote this psalm in the cave of Adullam. He was running for his life. He's running for his life. You know, what did David do? David, David obeyed the voice of the Lord in his life. And he pursued what no one else would pursue, and he, he killed the enemy of God's people. And King Saul was jealous and he was angry. And he tried to pin David. You can read in 1 Samuel, it says that Saul tried to pin David to a wall. With his spear. Can you imagine that? He tried to pin David to a wall with his spear. He threw his spear and it hit the wall. And David escaped. So David's running for his life. And he's, he's fearful. He doesn't know that the king of the nation of Israel is after you. A king is after you. You're just little David. How can you escape? And how can you get away? And so David flees and he runs. And he ends up in the city of Gath. He ends up in the city of Gath, and Gath is the hometown of Goliath. Gath is the hometown of Goliath, the, 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 the giant that David slayed. And not only is David at the, the hometown of the, of the giant Goliath, but he has the sword that he used to cut off Goliath's head with him. And he's at the city gate, and he's fearful for his life, the city gate of of Gath, and look at First Samuel chapter twenty-one. It says, "And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Asaph, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spit, his spittle, run down his beard. Then Asaph said to his servants, "Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me?" Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Look at 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And it is in that cave when David is fearful for his life and he's running for his life, he writes these words in Psalm 34, verses 18 through 19. He says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He writes this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And this is the backdrop of the Psalm We're going to study today Psalm 34. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. But this backdrop that David writes here, that many are the afflictions of the righteous. This is his declaration. He's in the cave. He's running for his life. Saul has just tried to pin him to a wall. He just has been so fearful for his life. He's acting like a madman. He's letting spit run down his beard. And he escapes into a cave. And in these 10 verses... My prayer is, is as we look through these first 10 verses of Psalm 34, that we would learn, that we would learn what we should do when we find ourselves afflicted and hidden. When we find ourselves afflicted and distressed and overwhelmed and discouraged, 
That when we find ourselves afflicted and hidden, that this would be our response. Such profound truths in these first ten verses. The first thing that we're going to pull out of this, these first ten verses of Psalm 34 is this, is that the distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord together. The distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord together. Now we have to get a little backdrop to this. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 2. Look at this. It says, David departed there, escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And verse 2, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Wow. And he became commander over them. And there was with him about 400 men. Can you imagine? David running for his life. Distressed. Worried and fearful. And he goes into a cave. His family follows him. And it's like a gravitational pull. All the other bitter. All the other afflicted. All the other fearful people. They all gather together. Must have been a big cave. Over 400 people in this cave. And look at the next, look at the first three verses of Psalm 34. With that in mind, over 400 people, afflicted, bitter, distressed. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Who's David talking to? He's talking to himself? Are you talking to the 400 plus people that are in the cave with him? He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Amen? The distressed and the bitter and the fearful and the angry, they magnify the Lord together. What a ragtag group of people. Huh? A cave full of people in distress, people in debt, people who are bitter in soul. And what does David do? He looks at them and says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let us magnify the Lord together. How often, how often have you heard the phrase, misery loves company? You ever heard that phrase before? Misery loves company. What happens a lot of times when you get bitter and distressed and afflicted people together? What do they do? They stuff Oreos in their mouth. (laughs) And they complain about all of the bad things going on in their life. Misery loves company. And, it, and I, I kind of see that picture in the cave of, a, of Adullam. It was like David's running for his life and he's miserable and he's afflicted and he's fearful. And, but he's not stuffing Oreos in his mouth flip, uh, flipping through Netflix. What's he doing? He's saying, hey, we can't stay here. We can't stay in this moment. We can't stay right here. This, right, this moment right here, this affliction, this distress, this fear. I don't know what the 400 different situations are in your life, but what I know is true is that we must magnify the Lord together. We must magnify our God in the middle of the storm. Amen? What well, does David say to this now large group of people who have gathered around him? David says, look up. Look up. 
Exalt the Lord. Don't wallow in your bitterness. Don't wallow in your frustration. Don't wallow in your fear. Magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me. I need your help. You ever been there? Misery loves company, but sometimes you need somebody in that miserable company to shake themselves out of it and say, no, no, we're going to magnify the Lord. Have you ever been on, on the cliff? Ever been on the cliff? I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with that. Done with this situation. Done with that person. I'm done. I can't go. I can't go anymore. You're on the cliff. And if you have somebody that is just like you gathering together in the cave with you, If somebody doesn't step up and say, I will bless the Lord at all times, you're going to both go off the cliff. You must, you must open your mouth. You must look up. You must exalt your God. Theologian Jim Boyce says of David in the cave, David may have acted like a fool, but he was not so foolish as to neglect the praise of him who was his only true wisdom. He may have been hiding in a dismal cave, but this psalm tells us that in his heart, he was hiding in the Lord. Isn't that good? That Yeah, we may be in a cave and we may be afflicted and we may have troubles and and trials and, and fears and anxieties in our life, but where are you hiding? Are you hiding in the Lord? You know, if you're hiding in the Lord, it will be reflected through your mouth and what you say. I will bless the Lord at all times. Magnifying God instead of your situations will change your perspective. Praising God instead of your problems will bring healing to your soul. Do you believe that? Praising God instead of your problems will bring healing to your soul. It is often that we allow our challenges to silence our praise of God. It's often we allow our challenges to silence our praise of God. But it is the praise of God that will shake us out of the moment, that will shake us out of our fears, shake us out of our affliction. If we will just but look up and we will say what the psalmist David says, I will bless the Lord at all times, not just in the good times, not just in the times whenever everything is going smoothly, but I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The poor, the afflicted, the distressed magnify the Lord together. Oh, magnify the Lord. Magnifying God will not change your circumstances, but it will be the foundation on which God will change you. It will be the foundation on which God will change your life and your heart and your perspective. That's what praise does. It lifts you up above your circumstances. Magnifying God, exalting God. When I, I, I heard your voices, when Stephen was, was singing and there was those moments when I heard all of your voices, it was strength to me to hear your voice. Sing those beautiful worship songs. That's what worship does. It it lifts you up above what you see with your eyes. Psalm 43, 5 says this. Why are you cast down on my soul? David says, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again what? Praise him. Reminds you of Psalm 34. He says, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to exalt him. I'm going to lift him up. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You notice there in Psalm 43, it says, David's kind of talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? Yeah, I talk to myself quite a bit. The problem is when you talk to yourself, you just can't let it out loud. That's whenever people start looking at you funny. You've got to keep it inside, right? You've got to talk to yourself. 
And you've got to tell yourself, why am I cast down, oh my soul? Hope in God. And when you begin to talk to yourself, when you do open your mouth, what comes out? Praise. Praise. Not self-pity. Not self-loathing. Not discouragement and anxiety and fear and all the, not talking about all the things that you can't change. What comes out of your mouth? Praise. Worship. Magnifying of our God. The distress and the bitter must magnify the Lord together. So I want to talk to you today. I want to tell you, how's your praise life? How's your worship life? Are you magnifying God? I know, I know you're going through it. I know all of us are going through it. All of us are going through something today. All of us are walking through a valley today. All of us are going through a season in our life today in the year 2020. We're all going through something. And my question to all of us here today is how is your praise life? Are you magnifying God? You know, you can't make God bigger than he is. He's bigger than anything in the, in the whole universe. He's bigger than everything. You can't magnify God any bigger. But you can, you can magnify him through your words and make him and, and magnify him bigger than your circumstances. But the problem is sometimes we are magnifying our circumstances and we're seeing them bigger than our God is. But there's no circumstance that we go through is bigger than our God. Ephesians 5 says this. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Do you, do you hear that? It's what we're called to do. This is the picture of Psalm 34 that we would address one another. And this is what I see in the cave of Adullam with, with King David and his ragtag group of men, 400 plus men that are distressed and in debt and in poor and, and anxious and worried. They're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you know what's happening? That, that praise of God is bouncing around amongst each other and it's lifting each other's spirit. It's what we need today. That's the first thing we see in Psalm 34, that, that the distressed, the afflicted, and the poor, they exalt the Lord together. They magnify the Lord together. The second thing we see in Psalm 34 this morning is this, is that the fearful and the poor seek the Lord continually. We must magnify the Lord in the middle of the cave, but we must seek the Lord continually. Look back at Psalm 34, verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. Did you notice what David said there in Psalm 34. You notice, you notice the forward pursuit language? Do you notice that? I sought. I sought the Lord. Those who looked to him. This poor man cried. Did you see that? You must, we must have a posture in the middle of the cave, in the middle of our affliction, that we must not stop seeking the Lord. I just love this picture that David gives us. He, look, I, I think we don't really see exactly what David was going through. You know you're in a low spot in your life when you're at a gate of a city for all to see and you're acting like a madman. That's a low spot. Spit dripping down your cheeks. I'm not telling what else he did. That's a low spot. You know you're not insane. And then maybe in the middle of your acting out, you think, maybe I am insane. Maybe I have lost my mind. 
this same David in the middle of the cave, just experiencing that, he lifts up his voice and he magnifies God. He looks at this group of men that are with him and says, magnify him with me. And then he begins to declare, he says, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm gonna, this poor man is going to cry out to God. I'm not going to stay idle. I'm not going to stand still. David had every reason to quit. Don't you think? Every reason to quit. He, what did David do? He had simply sought to obey the Lord. He had simply sought to defend the name of his God from the blasphemy of Goliath. Let's, let's just refresh our memory of what David did. And I think if we refresh our memory of what David did, we'll understand the, the, the despair of David. Look what David did. Goliath is in the valley. And he's mocking God and God's people. And David hears about it. He went to bring cheese and bread to his brothers that are in the the battle. And look at 1 Samuel 17. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I see David right here. He's looking around at this group of soldiers that are fearful for their life. They have no courage. They have no boldness. And here is a little shepherd boy coming up to these men and saying, in essence, what are you doing? Is, is, there, is there no courage? Is there no boldness? Is there no one that will stand for what is right? Where are you? Stand up. He's looking at what's going to be done for the person who silences the mouth of that blasphemer. What's going to be done for him? And he's, he's looking, he's looking, and, 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 and no one says anything except his brother. Look at the next section. Now Eliab. His eldest brother spoke up, and when he heard David speak to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Did you hear the mockery in his brother's voice? He says, David, you just got a few little sheep you're taking care of in the wilderness. Why, why have you come down to the battlefield? We have more important things to handle than just a few little sheep that you take care of. And with whom have you left those few sheep? I know that your presumption and the evil of your heart. Eliab is judging David's heart and he, doesn't, he can't even see inside of his heart. For you have come down to see this battle. And David said, what have, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Was I not just speaking words? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him as before. Do you see that? Eliab mocks him for his courage, for his boldness. He mocks him. And David, David looks at his brother and his brother mocks him. He turns and says, and looks to another person and says the same thing. What's going to be done? What's going to be done? Who's going to stand up? Who's going to stand up? And then David. David stands up to the giant. And look what he says to the giant. In 1 Samuel 17. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. Amen. What did David get in return for his boldness? What did he get in return for his courage? He got a spear flying for his head. 
He got a deranged and jealous king chasing to destroy his life. That's what he got. Now do you understand why, why, why David is fearful? Now do you understand why he's distressed? Now do you understand why he's acting like a madman at the city gate of Gath? Now with that in mind, the fact that David utters from his lips praise to his God. The fact that he utters from his lips that he will pursue God, that he will run after God, that he will not stop. That he's going to still cry unto his God. I seek, I look, I cry. That's what we hear coming from the mouth of David. Not, woe is me, not I'm going to give up, not, not, not it wasn't worth it. You might read some other Psalms where he said that, but not in Psalm 34. Crying out, I'm going to seek you, God. I'm going to look to you. I just want to tell you, the enemy of our soul wants us to be intimidated into a corner and to look at the circumstances of our life and believe that there's no way out. Have you been there? The enemy of our soul wants to intimidate us into a corner and to believe that there's no way out and that the only option for you to do is to quit, to give up on that marriage to give up on that business, to give up on that friendship, to give up on that church, to give up on this, to give up on that. That's what the enemy wants you to do, to force you into a corner and to say, you know what, it's, it's over. It's done. Give up. Throw in the towel. But we must be like David. We must, we must be like that group of men in that cave. We must lift up our voices and magnify him, and we must continually seek and pursue the Lord in the middle of that cave, in the middle of that darkness. We must not stop pursuing. We must seek the Lord continually. We must not quit. You ever almost quit? There's a story of a man named R.U. Harvey. R.U. Harvey and his uncle in the 1850s, they set out for California for the, for the gold rush in the 1850s. And they borrowed money from people to buy equipment to get ready to go to California and to mine the gold, to find gold. So they went out there, they, they were in debt by lots of money. But they figured, if we strike it rich, we'll be able to pay off all our debt and we'll be, able to, we'll, 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 we'll be millionaires. So they go out there and they're mining for gold and they strike it rich. They, they find gold. And they, they keep getting treasure day after day after day after day and they're, and they're eventually to the point where they are they're to the point where they can pay off all of their debt, all the money that they had borrowed to buy all the equipment. And as soon as they get to that point, the well runs dry. It stops. Then the, the supply of gold stopped. The vein of ore had disappeared. And so H.U.R.U. Harvey uh, and his uncle, they, they just get so frustrated and overwhelmed that eventually they just quit. They just stop. They, they just think, you know, there, there's no more. We've dug, we've dug, we've dug, we've dug, and then they just stopped. They got so frustrated, they took all their equipment, and they found a man, a junk man, as the story goes, that didn't have much of anything to his name, and they sold everything to him for a few hundred dollars. She gave it to him, went back to where they came from. And so that junk man said, well, hey, I'm going to do some investigation." So he hires engineers to come in there, and they, they do some surveying, they look at everything, and sure enough, three feet from where R.U. Harvey and his uncle stopped digging was another vein of ore. And gold was right there. They were three feet from more gold. And this junk man became a multimillionaire from something he paid a few hundred dollars for. Three feet from gold. To me, that's the picture 
what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to quit. We're so close to a breakthrough. We're so close to being out, from being out from what the enemy's trying to do in our life. We're so close and, 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 and we just quit. We just give up. We quit pursuing. We quit moving forward. It's like Psalm 27 says this, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Don't stop pursuing the Lord. Don't stop seeking after God in the middle of your afflictions. That's what Satan wants you to do is to stop pursuing. And I feel like that's the case for many of us here today. Whatever our afflictions are, we, ha- we find ourselves in that corner and, 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 and we, feel, we feel like so overwhelmed that, that the, our pursuit of the Lord is not where it used to be. We're not pursuing him. We're not pursuing his word and his presence. We're not per- pursuing time with him. We're not pursuing Fellowship with the body of Christ. This is a call for perseverance that I see in Psalm 34. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Philippians 3. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. This pursuit of Christ because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I Press on. Are you pressing on today? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. We press on. Don't quit seeking. Don't quit pursuing. Our world today, the circumstances of our life will try and suck out all of our passion and zeal for for the Lord. Do you feel that today? Our world today, our political environment, the pandemic, everything going on all around us. It tries, it's, it's trying to suck out all of our passion for the Lord. And, and I, this is the way I kind of see it. I feel like if we're not careful, we can just become zombies. It's kind of walking along, doing our thing, and we, we, we're just so numb right now. We can't quit pursuing. We must say as the psalmist David, I seek, I look, I pursue. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm looking to him. I'm crying out to him. Active pursuit. You know that standing idle is just like falling back. Standing idle is just like falling back. If you're not actively gaining ground in your relationship with the Lord, it's just like you're falling back. That's something we must all come to terms with, that in our life, if we are, if we are just idle and we're not gaining ground in our pursuit of the Lord, it's just like falling back because we're not gaining ground. Standing idle is just like falling back. We must continue to pursue. The distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord together. The fearful and the poor seek the Lord continually. And finally here today, what we see in Psalm 34 is this. The distressed, the bitter, the fearful, and the poor will lack no good thing. Will lack no good thing. Look back at the, at the Psalm, Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You notice in in the beginning, in my introduction, I talked about Psalm 34, 18 through 19. It says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
I think that's how David felt. David is in the cave and he must have been thinking, what did I do to, to deserve this? All I did was stand courageous. I'm righteous before God. I just stood up for righteousness. I defeated God's enemy. You notice he cries out in Psalm 34. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Being righteous does not exempt us from suffering. Being right with the Lord does not exempt us from going through pain. Just because you're right with the Lord does not mean you're not going to get sick. Doesn't mean that you're not going to lose your job. Doesn't mean that you're not going to go through anxiety and depression and fear and worry and doubt. In fact, we all go through those things. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, in Jesus' day, that, that was kind of the belief that, that the reason people suffered was because they were unrighteous. Look at, look at John chapter 9. There's a, a man born blind from, from birth, and his disciples asked Jesus a question, John 9. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. You know, that can kind of be a belief. What what did you do wrong? Clearly you sinned. Clearly you messed up. Clearly it's your fault that you're going through the afflictions that you're going through. And and you can see David in the cave. Maybe that was going through his mind. I, I absolutely was going through his mind. God, what did I do? Is it my fault? Is it something that I did? Is it my motives? Am, am I not seeing things clearly? But just because you are righteous does not mean you are exempt from suffering. Do you remember Job's friends? Job's friends. Job, just read the book of Job if you want some, some encouragement. <laughs> Job's friend looked at Job. Job had lost everything. His health, his wealth, his family, everything. The only thing that God left him was his nagging wife. Job was probably like, you missed one, Lord. No, he wouldn't have said that. What did his friends say when they looked at him? It's your fault, Job. It's your fault. That's why you're suffering. If you would not be unrighteous, this wouldn't be happening to you. I'm here to tell you, Job's friends were wrong. The disciples were wrong. They didn't understand it. And I don't understand why we go through suffering. Uh, uh, you know, there's questions that I have as to re- the reason why people get cancer and, and, and we pray and healing doesn't come. We, we all struggle with those questions. But what we know is true is that in the middle of the afflictions, in the middle of the cancer, in the middle of the disease and the fear and the the depression, that God is good and God is faithful. He is good. We will lack no good thing. The psalmist David reminds us that the righteous will suffer. But the psalmist David also reminds us that the Lord is good. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He reminds us that God is our refuge in the middle of the storm. That's what you need today. You don't need some self-help, false religious system that tells you that Christianity is just going to be cherry pie and roses and, and, and sun rises and beautiful things. No, that, that's not what Christianity is. It is, it, it is a relationship with God that, that brings stability, that brings hope and peace in the middle of the storm. David reminds us in his psalm that God is our refuge in the middle of the storm. He reminds us that if we will seek the Lord, we will not lack any good thing. 
Seeking God will not prevent pain in our lives. Seeking God will, however, change our perspective about our pain. That's what we must do. Let us not settle for the world's perspective about what the good life is, what the good things are. You see, David, David's saying there that if we will seek the Lord and, and those who seek him, those who pursue him will lack no good thing. Those who fear God will lack no good thing. We must not settle for the world's perspective of what is good. What's the world's perspective of, of what is good? What's the good life today? The good life is, good life is a, it's a paid-for house. The good life is a vehicle that makes your neighbors jealous. The good life is, is shooting four under par every time you play golf, which is something I will never do. The good life, the good life is drinking that sweet tea or your favorite beverage on your back patio with the wind blowing across your hair. Low humidity, the good life, right? It's the good life. Is that the good life? That, that, that's, a, that's a false view of life. We must not allow the world to hijack our view of what the good life is. Because look, it, it, the, the, you don't always shoot under par. You'll shoot in the 90s every now and then. That breeze is not always blowing across your beautiful hair. And it's 100% humidity most of the time here. So if you're looking to the world's view of the good life, which is no trouble, no pain, no difficulty, you're going to live your life completely, completely and utterly disappointed. Continually. What's the good things that we do not lack when we fear the Lord? It is a peace that the world cannot take from us. In the middle of a crazy year, 2020, it is a peace that the world cannot rob from us. It is a joy that the world cannot offer through riches, through wealth, through possessions, through notoriety and power. It is a peace and it is a joy and it is a love that can only come from our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what the world cannot offer. And that is the, that is the good things that we will not lack. It's a peace in the middle of the storm. It's joy in the middle of sorrow. It's hope in the middle of 2020. In the middle of 2020, have you lost your hope a little bit? No, see, see yeah, yeah, we have from moment to moment. When we look around, we're like, oh God, it just looks so hopeless right now. What is going on? Lord, what's happening? But it's that moment that you stop when you're in the cave like David. You look up and you praise your God. And you seek him, you pursue him. And what happens? That good thing that you were lacking, that peace and that hope, when you're feeling hopeless for, in the middle of 2020, it comes rushing into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're filled with the Spirit. And you have wind in your sails again. 2020 can't steal my joy. 2020 will not force me into despair. 2020 will not steal my passion for the Lord. The pandemic, the political upheaval, all of that will not mark my life. Amen? Won't steal my joy. Won't get me off center. Won't, won't, won't cause me to put, the, put the, the gear shift into neutral. No. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going into overdrive. You going into overdrive with me? I look. I seek. I pursue. And as I do, I will lack no good thing. David got a hold of something in that cave. He opened his mouth. He praised his God. 
he set his heart to pursue the Lord and then he reminded himself that his God is a keeper of his promises. That's what David did in the cave. So who's here today? It's my question for you today. Who's here today? What cave are you in today? What moment of despair are you in today? What fear is gripping your heart today? I took some moments before the service, and do you remember a few weeks back, I preached a sermon, and we were talking about, I ended my sermon talking about casting all of our anxieties over on, on the Lord, and we all wrote on index cards. I did that in both services, and people, you guys came and put those cards in the basket, and none of you signed your names. It was just, you just put your prayer needs and what you're casting. And so right before service, I was sitting in the hallway of my office, and I I just saw the basket. It was under the shelf. I pulled the basket out, and I just sat there, and I just started reading cards. Started reading cards. You know, one of the one of the main things that I read over and over again in different ways was fear about the future. Over and over again, fear about the future in marriages, fear about the future in finances, fear about the future in this year with the pandemic. It was fear about the future. Fear about the future. I'm just here to tell you that that we don't have to be fearful for the future. That God is ahead of us and that he has already prepared the way. God knew that 2020 was going to happen. And as I read those over and over again, my heart was just breaking for God's people, for you. And I wanted to come and tell you, I don't know what kind of cave you're in today and what fear is gripping your heart. What bitterness, maybe. Maybe, maybe there's some bitterness gripping your heart. I, I, I don't know your situation, but I'm here to tell you that we can learn from Psalm 34 that we must praise our God above our situation. And we must seek him in the middle of the storm. We must not stop pursuing. Psalm 27 says this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's my encouragement to you. Wait for the Lord. Another verse, another section that talks about waiting for God. Listen to this. This is Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Do you hear that? Sometimes we're tempted to say that, God, I'm hidden from you. You don't see me. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. It's something God cannot do. There's only one thing God cannot do. Faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Amen? Amen. It's my word for you today. Out of, the, out of the quarantine bubble, that's my word for you today. I don't know what cave you're in, what affliction you're under. But if you'll wait on the Lord, 
and you will take that gear shift out of idle and put it in overdrive and you will open your mouth and praise God above your circumstances. If you will commit in your heart that you will not allow this year, this time, this circumstance that you're in to stop you from pursuing the Lord, you will lack no good thing. You will lack no good thing. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you for your people here today. Thank you for your precious people, precious men and women, young and old, servants, your servants, your your children. God, I pray that the afflictions and the the struggles that they, they are walking through, God, I pray that you would remind them that you are with them. You've not forgotten them. You've not abandoned them. They're not alone. And God, I pray, God, that they would look up as the psalmist David encourages us to look up to not, to not look just at our circumstances and just wallow in what we see in front of us, but God, to see who you are, to magnify you in the middle of it. God, I pray that burdens will be lifted. I pray that those that are fearful will have courage. I pray, Lord, those that are weak would be strong. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I love you and I'll see you next week.